Hi again, gang, and welcome back to the next episode of Beyond the Green Line, brought to you by the team here at Moss Environmental. I'm Bronwyn Brennan, and joining us today, we have Simone Pop. Simone is an activist, an animal trainer, and all-round legendary human being. Um, Simone and I met doing our undergrads at UCID, and today I am hoping that Simone will talk us through how a Sydney girl from the beaches ended up working as an animal trainer extraordinaire, and I'm hoping that she will talk us through some of her favourite projects to date. Hi, and welcome. Buckle up for a new episode of Beyond the Green Line the only podcast hooking you up for a virtual coffee date with some of the leading change makers, industry experts and everyday activists in environmental and agricultural sciences. So pop in your headphones, go for a walk and get ready for inspiration, ideas, insights and real life stories beyond the green line we balance along. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to the Beyond the Green Line podcast. In this episode today, we are going to chat to animal trainer, conservationist, and all-around excellent person, Simone Pop. Simone, how are you going? Hi, how are you going? Simone and I met during our undergrads at University of Sydney, and today I'm hoping that Simone will walk us through how a Sydney girl from the beaches ended up working as an animal trainer extraordinaire and walk us through some of her favourite projects so far. So, Simone, did you want to jump in and say hi? Hello, everyone. Hello, Ron. It's so nice to see you again. That's been a long time since I've seen you. It is, yes. Possibly not since our graduation. Yeah, I don't think so. That was probably 15, 10, 15. I'd prefer not to think about that. Yeah, no, that's a good idea. (laughs) (laughs) So then, what prompted your move from agriculture to animal training? And was it something that always interested you? Yeah, so I guess I studied agriculture four years in Sydney and then just kind of landed a job in a tourist and educational farm, which kind of promoted sustainable farming and it taught like Sydney kids where all your produce came from and, and you know, how farming worked. And I really loved being there and I was there for about eight years. What I really loved doing was animal health and animal training. So we would train our working dogs. So we had Kelpies and Border Collies to do our herding demonstrations. And I remember when we were in uni, we we went on some excursion and we did watch a demonstration at one time. And I remember just being like, I really want to learn how to do that. So it was great that when I moved into this job, I was able to learn how to train the dogs to do herding. And then with lots of things to do with zookeeping, because it was also a, a wildlife park. We had a lot of Australian natives a lot of training comes into that as well. So I really got interested in in the animal training part as well, which I loved. That's amazing. It's really interesting always I find to hear how people land where they land. Yeah. And it's always inevitably I find not where people thought they were going to land when they first signed up for their, their first year uni. Yeah, definitely. It's funny that I actually, before I decided to study agriculture, I was either going to do that or I was going to do the tape, or not the Tronga Zoo zookeeping course. Mm. And it's just weird that I ended up doing agriculture, spent eight years on a tourist and educational farm and wildlife park, and then, then got into zookeeping. So I basically ended up being able to do both, which I find really awesome. And I've 
now got that agriculture background and and then moved into zookeeping and and the job I have now involves everything basically so it's kind of all come together really nicely that's amazing coming back to Taronga because I know everyone always loves hearing about Taronga it's very popular talk us through the work that I know you did there for a little while so when I was at Taronga I worked with the ungulate team, which is a great team. And when we say ungulates, a lot of people don't know what that means. It just means hooved animals. So they had giraffe there, they had pygmy hippos, and they had a bongo, which is kind of like a hooved stock, beautiful, big. He's beautiful boy. His name was a Kindu. And I really enjoyed working there. They're, they really promote conservation of all different types of species and they do a lot of good work and research. And it was just a great place to work. But I ended up having to move up to the mid-north coast and land myself a job at Bilbong Zoo as the senior koala keeper and really felt passionate about that and the plight of koalas. Koalas, I think in the last week, have been listed as endangered in New South Wales not nationally, which is a bit interesting. So we would love to hear more about your work with koalas. Yeah, so we had koalas at the the city farm that I worked at. I worked a little bit with them there and did a lot of work as at the at Billabong Zoo as the senior koala keeper and just fell in love with them. I just felt so passionate about them and would talk to anyone that wanted to listen about <laughs> what they're going through and, you know, what you can do to help them. And yeah, like you said, in the last week, it's come out that they have been listed as endangered on the East Coast. So Queensland, New South Wales and Victoria. And in the last decade, they've gone from being least concerned to to vulnerable and then to endangered. So in 10 years, they've dropped their numbers so significantly and they, they, describe it as in 2050, if we don't do anything, they're going to become extinct, which would be such a massive shame for our country. So yeah, basically as a zookeeper, we would have breeding programs and we would really promote conservation and through education. So by our keeper talks and whoever would come in and, and we'd have a chat to them and, you know, we can tell what ordinary people can do to kind of help these guys out. But Unfortunately, up here in 2019-2020, Port Macquarie got hit really badly with bushfires and we lost a lot of koalas through that, which is a very shame. That is a shame, yeah. Um, but the zoo was not impacted, which is... No, the zoo wasn't impacted, but a lot of the surrounding areas yeah. were. And we actually, with the current job that I have now, we're doing some post-koala surveys. So using the detection dogs to find the koalas and see if they were coming back to areas that had been impacted. So that was a really exciting and important project that I worked on. That is, that's amazing. Tell us more about your work with the detection dogs. When we started teeing up this podcast, you were on Lord Howe Island with the dogs. Do you want to talk a little bit about that project? Yeah. So for the last year, I've been working with a team called Tate Animal Training and they're based up here in Port Macquarie. We do a few jobs for, or we get contracted by local land services, national parks, and we're also being contracted by the Lord Howe Island Board. So basically about two years ago, Lord Howe wanted to eradicate all the rats on the island. So the rats arrived through ships in like 1917 and had a massive impact on all the native species on the island, especially a lot of bird species. They 
totally wiped out like five species of birds, seven species of um, invertebrates and were threatening so many more species. So they wanted to eradicate the rats. So they did a big eradication program. And what we do on our side in Port Macquarie is we use our detection dogs to do biosecurity work for the trader that takes all the cargo over to Lord Howard. So we're checking for rats, mice, lizards that could cause any problems over there. And we're also checking the planes that fly from Port to Lord Howe. And sometimes when we're lucky, we get to head over to Lord Howe and we help do some surveys of properties and of bushland areas with some of the dogs that they've got over there or we take our own dogs and, you know, checking for any signs of rats that could still be there. So rat nests live rats, anything like that, any sign we might see. I think it's been over a hundred days since they've last seen a rat. So that's really encouraging, but you know, you keep wanting to, you got to keep, you know, checking because there's, it's a big island and you want to make sure that they're all gone. So that's a, a really exciting project that we're involved in because seeing the eradication program, there's a Lord Howe Island wood hen that's increased in numbers by 50%. Other bird species have their breeding programs have been improved and they're seeing like all these snails and that were impacted by the rats and the mice coming back. So it's really nice to see. That is, it's amazing and really exciting results to hear. Yeah, no, it's, it's great to see the efforts, all the efforts that everyone on the project has been involved in. And you can so clearly see the evidence and how important it is to get rid of those invasive species. That's so exciting. Um, really promising, promising results they can hopefully replicate elsewhere. Yeah, exactly. Now that they've shown that it can be done. It can be done, yeah. yeah. And hopefully they'll never see a rat or a mice on the island again. <laughs> that would be fantastic. I remember visiting Lord Howe um, many years ago now, at least a decade ago, and there were signs everywhere about, you know, locking all your food up, keeping everything sealed and making sure that there was, was nothing out for them. But it's, it's just not enough, is it? Yeah, I don't think that is enough, do you know? get rid of them no but yeah it's great to see that every since I've been there you know it's just the most pristine beautiful place and you would just never want anything bad to happen to any any of the species on there absolutely it was beautiful when I was there I remember doing the Mount Gower walk and I swear my legs were shaky for two days afterwards <laughs> oh yeah I, bet. I haven't done that yet but it is huge and it is beautiful been, from the top it's worth yeah, it yeah <laughs> yeah I bet it's worth it I'll have to put it on my bucket list for one time yeah. that I go over Definitely. So Simone, we've discussed all of these very exciting projects. What would you say was your favorite conservation project to date? I think my favorite conservation project is anything to do with the koala work that we do. Yep. Like I said before, really passionate about the koala work. And when we were doing those post-bushfire surveys, even though it was so upsetting seeing so much land that had been completely burnt out and the devastating effects that it's had when we were going in and surveying areas that had koalas and we just didn't know if they were going to come back to the area or whatnot we were seeing still some presence of koalas in those areas I don't think when we did that survey we saw any live koalas which is Mm. the best thing that you can see you know seeing those live koalas Seeing them in the wild is such an awesome experience, mm. but we were seeing lots of evidence. So, you know, their scat and all that kind of thing. So it was a little bit hopeful, you know, that they were coming back into those areas that had been burnt and there was new leaf starting to grow on the trees. So 
it was kind of reassuring that, you know, they haven't all been wiped out. There's still some. And so that was a really nice project to work on. We do have one of the dogs that, that works with us or, you know, in our team. She actually won the Canine Hero Award at the Agriculture Sydney show because of her work she did post-bushfire. So basically, you know, while the fires were going, she was going into those areas and finding injured and sick koalas that were then taken to the koala hospital. So we're really proud of her and, you know, so many koalas were saved because of her and how she was able to find them. So even though I wasn't, I wasn't there in the team at that time, it was just, it's really awesome to know that that's what our team was involved in. Yeah, that is amazing. Yeah. That's super cool. She's a clever dog. (laughs) She must be. Bit, bit cleverer than my silly dog at home, I suspect. <laughs> You've got a Dalmatian, don't you? I do have a Dalmatian. Oh, they, have, they have imported dogs. They're like a guarding dog, aren't they? Yeah. Yeah, they were fire so. dogs. Yeah, fire dogs. They're imported. It they, is important. They do a good I, job. Now that we have sirens, probably less important. Yeah. Well, still still important, I think. You've know? <laughs> you got to keep morale up and dogs up, up with the morale. <laughs> so when we talk about looking for koala science, there's scats or feces for our listeners, what else would we be looking for? When we are looking for koalas, we are targeting trees that they like. So there's lots of different types of eucalyptus trees, but koalas are pretty fussy, they don't eat all of them. So we always target the trees that we know that they like, so the tower woods and the swamp mahoganies. And then, you know, the dogs are trained to find and sniff out scats and all like koalas. Then we can also kind of get a bit of an idea of, you know, if there are scratch marks on a tree and all those sorts of things. But the biggest, the biggest one for the dogs is that, that koala scat, the feces. Yeah. It has a really good, strong smell and they can, they can detect it. Like it could be months old sitting there under leaves and we can hardly see anything. And then they, they're bam straight on it. So yeah, it's amazing to watch them work on koala scat. That is very, very, very cool. So what training or skills or opportunities that you've received through your career, what do you think has helped you most to land where you are today? I started work when I was young at a horse riding school and I was mucking out stables and kind of worked my way to instructing. And I think that being a really hard worker in this industry is really important, you know, having a lot of variety of experiences with animals. So I started off with horses and then, you know, I was a vet nurse for a little bit and kind of went and did all these experiences and got that experience up because what they want to see in this industry is maybe not so much qualifications, but what kind of experiences or volunteering or work that you've done to kind of, you know, have that, that kind of hands-on experience. So I would advise anyone wanting to get into the dog training industry or zookeeping industry to get as many experiences as you can. So do online courses, go, go volunteer at places, you know, go to dog clubs and see if they want any volunteers. And so it's all about getting that hands-on experience or just kind of finding a job in an, an area that can be animal-based. So you just have those, that groundwork to really help you get through to a pretty tough industry to crack. But I think just being really hardworking is is a big key to finding success. I think that sounds really exciting and I think that's a really high quality advice for any industry. Yes, definitely. I think that, you know, potential employees really want to see that you are dedicated and you love what you do and you know, and you're going to work hard at 
at that. Absolutely, definitely. Well, it's a bit hard not to love what you do when you're working with dogs every day and saving koalas. Yeah, I feel I've been really lucky in all my in all my jobs that I loved every one of them. I don't know how people go to work every day and don't feel passionate for their job. So I feel like really, really lucky to have landed some great jobs, met some great people, worked with amazing animals. I don't know how people go to their job and not like it. (laughs) Do you have a single favorite animal, not as in type of animal, but a specific animal from your career? Yeah, there's definitely animals that have stood out throughout my career. We had a donkey at the city farm who I just loved. His name was Jack. He just had lots of attitude and spunk. (laughs) And we also had a working dog there. Her name was Dot that I would use every day for demonstrations. And she was just such a good little helper for me. And then of course, my dogs that I used to take with me to work every day as well. At the zoo, at Billabong Zoo, I fell in love with a koala there called Peter. She was just, I don't know why she was my favorite. She was just beautiful, loved a little snuggle in the morning and just had such a sweet attitude. So yeah, there's definitely animals that stick out throughout the career. And yeah, those would be, those would be some that come to mind. I'm sure there's plenty more. And all the dogs that I work with now are just so amazing and they all have, you know, their their amazing qualities and what you love about them too. So the cheeky, the cheeky ones always keep you on your toes. So yeah, no, lots of animals that stay, stick with you. And it's always hard to leave a job when you leave because you are leaving the animals behind as well. But you can always, we can always go back and visit. <laughs> Simone, thank you so much for that. This has been a really fantastic chat. And I hope it's got everyone thinking about, about some, some opportunities for people and things that they can do to help out our koalas in particular, I think there's probably things that we can all be doing. Did you want to expand any more on things that people can be doing for koalas? Yeah. So the biggest issue that they face is habitat loss. So I guess in terms and, and, you know, habitat loss is up here, the big issue, but in terms of some of those little smaller issues, or I shouldn't say small issues, but some of the other issues, like they get attacked by people's pets all the time, you know, dogs and and cats. So we always try and advocate people to, you know, make sure your cats are locked up, especially at nighttime and your dogs are nice and secure. Teach your dogs a good recall so they don't go and attack, you know, koalas or have them on leash and don't give them that opportunity to attack them as well. In those drought times, we were kind of advocating that if you do have koalas in your area, leave some water, you know, in a container up in a tree so they can always come, come and grab that. And what else can we do? Planting native species in our backyards, in our homes. So especially all those eucalyptus species that koalas love to eat. And that can be really beneficial for them if you're in an area that has koalas. But even if you're not, just planting native species to help out birds and bees and and all the other animals, those native animals can be really beneficial too. That's awesome, Smoon. Thank you so much for those tips. Thank you, everybody, for listening and joining us today. Please give our podcast a follow and head on over to our socials or our website if you would like to hear a little bit more about Moss Environmental. Thanks. Thank you so much for joining us today, Simone. That was a fantastic chat. Thank you for listening, everybody. Please join us for our next episode for more inspirational stories, actionable tips, and unleashing the eco-warrior inside you. Until next time, thanks for listening.
please subscribe to our podcast and head on over to our socials to explore a little more about us. This has been Bronwyn Brennan for the Beyond the Green Line podcast. Bye. Thanks for listening to this episode of Beyond the Green Line, brought to you by Moss Environmental. Subscribe to our podcast for your weekly invitation to join the conversation. Until next time, keep thinking green.